I met Skip Lackey over 35 years ago when I was a musician in New York City and he was a Broadway actor. We met, however, through getting involved with NLP from a fellow named Tony Robbins. Since then, Skip has gone on to life coaching and was the president of the Journey North America, Praxis Leadership Academy, and many other activities you'll hear about right now on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, I am joined with my old friend Skip Lackey. Skip, how's things? Things are good here. You know, I'm out here in Boulder, Colorado, Looking at the mountains, life couldn't be much better. Wow. It's it's so nice to see you again. It has been a long time. I met you God knows how many years ago. Actually, I know, too. God isn't the only one. It's, it was a long time ago, though. Let's just suffice it to say. I did my first Tony Robbins workshop in 1985. When was yours? 84. I had done the one just before that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right in the fall. Right. And I did of 84, a long time ago. And I did spring of 85. So yeah, we are, we are old timers. Yes, we are. At that time, when I first took my workshop, I was, you know, quote unquote, professional musician. I was, you know, earning my living meager as it was as a musician, um, playing bands and playing clubs and, and teaching mostly. I must get my money from teaching, but you, you Skip Lackey were a guy. Lord, you are a very successful, in my eyes at least, I think I think most people would agree, a successful actor. You you were in the movies, you were um, in that, what was it, Once Bitten, Twice Bitten, what was it? Once Bitten, yeah, with Jim Carrey, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, had, I hadn't done that at that point. I had just, well, no, no, when I first met you, I guess I had, because... The fall of 84, after I did that first workshop with Tony, I went to L.A. Uh I was going to Los Angeles and drove across country to Uh do the the first 40-foot firewalk with him in his front yard with 60 people, where it was in Life Magazine and Rolling Stone and all that That was in his front yard, that thing? That was in his front yard, yeah. That was in his front yard, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, cool. So that was – and then I – my very first audition after taking that workshop – utilizing the skills I got, um, uh, I, I got the job. I had gotten the job. Yeah. Cool. And you were on, you were on Broadway too, right? You were in uh, the, the, the big river, was it? I did big river on Broadway. Yep. I did uh secret garden on the road. I was in Barnum on the road with the uh, Glenn close. I was clown with ringling. Um, you, you went to clown school, didn't you? I went right out of high school in the late seventies. I went to, uh, Ringling Brothers Bar and Bailey Clown College and graduated top of my class, <laughs> I must say, and weren't my, wasn't my family really proud of me? Yeah, I guess. And then got a job, got a job offer in the circus and toured with them for a while wow, in the early great. 80s. Uh, but wow. I really wanted to be, I really wanted to uh, uh, be on Broadway. That was my, my ultimate dream. Uh-huh. Um, so that's why yeah. I moved to New York. Yeah. So let me just back up a little bit. What, what's, what's a typical kind of, you know, classroom experience at Clown College, Ringling Brothers? <laughs> you know, I have to be honest with you. I was 17 and 18 when I went to Clown College, and it's a real condensed, you know, uh, basically 13 weeks of six days a week, 10 hours a day, right. where you go from, uh, you know, uh, classic clowning class to juggling class, stilt walking class, uh, acrobatics magic, uh, makeup, costuming, because you have to make your, you have to learn how to sew and make your own costumes. Um, and then you rotate, you do comedy, you do the history of circus. Um, they basically, it's a crash course mm-hmm. on clowning. And honestly, back then it was 13 weeks to be around people to see if they had what it took to be able to live on the road in a, in a you know, a seven by seven train room basically a little, a little cell with a 
twin bed. That's it. I mean, I am in a room that precisely matches that description, even as we speak. (laughs) Do you really? Well, Well, I live in that with a roommate. The bed's well, think about think about there being a roommate uh, in a seven by seven room, two people stacked in bunk beds with you know probably two feet between the bed and the wall, and that's it. You had one drawer. So they were, it was really an audition to see, are you capable of living in a really cramped tight quarter with another person? Yeah. Uh, and do you have the personality to be able to do that? Some people don't, no matter how funny sure. they are. Oh yeah. And you know, you shower at the arena that you're performing at. So, you know, and there's one bathroom for 20 people, one toilet. Is, that's is it. it the, did the elephants actually just like squirt you? Is that how it happens? You just, yeah, well, no, it's it's the tigers. You know, you stand in front of the tiger cage and they squirt you. Oh, well, I don't I don't need to know any more about that. We'll just yeah, leave that yeah. there. Um, anyway, <laughs> enough with the circus talk. <laughs> I don't know very many people that went to clown college. I will admit, I, I think I actually do know one other, but that's that's as far really? as. I but I, I just I remember you juggling, man. You were like a killer juggler. I remember you. Well, I, yeah, at that point, I had been doing uh, two. I'd been doing the um, national tours of Barnum. And so I, I was juggling three, four, five hours a day. And even though I was singing and dancing in the show, it was a musical. My job was to juggle balls, rings, clubs, boxes, walk stilts, ride unicycle. I was the skills person that they hired that could also sing and dance. Um, yeah. And street performed as a juggler uh, for a number of years. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I hardly juggle ever anymore. Yeah. Me too. I don't juggle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I learned though. I learned. I just, I was just like, I, when I was around you, I thought, Holy Toledo, I don't know anything about juggling. I will not tell a soul Keep uh, this to myself. Yeah. It was just, uh, you know, now so many people can juggle, you know, three balls. It's like yeah. a real thing. Back when I was juggling, if you could juggle three balls and just juggle, yeah. it was a big fat deal because nobody did it. I, I could do three. I could do four. But you were doing <laughs> things where you would throw things like super high up in the air and then you catch it with your neck. And yeah, then you still remember that. Yeah, that's yeah, And then you'd, uh, you'd catch, caught it with your neck. And then... Yeah. <laughs> And then somehow your neck threw it back up in the air again and you started juggling with it again. It's like, that's uh Well, they, they, one of the things is, you know, they, they put a hand, they sometimes oh, really? just take a, yeah, put a hand back behind your neck. So it'll ah. catch it and throw. That's part of learning. They, they have specialized surgeons that do that. You know, it's an essential ah. skill. <laughs> yeah. Well, good segue because we're here. To yeah. talk about essential. Hey, did you have to have the hand removed, or has that been? Um, yeah, I had it removed after after five years of being out of the circus. They they force you to remove it because it's just a, it's a ringling thing. Oh, yeah. oh so it's like a patented yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. Along with my sense of humor, they took my they sense took of humor. They took that away. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, yeah. they took it away. It's removed. gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll 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 keep calm and carry on in spite of that. Uh, there you go. Yeah. All right. But, uh, so, okay. So you were in Ringling Barnum on Broadway. You were in the in, the, in a circus for a while, and then um, why did you take a firewalk? Why did you get involved in Tony Robbins' firewalk? Where? How did that come to pass? You know, that has to do with uh, with my background. I grew up in Arkansas, and I grew up um, with a mother who was a an interesting person. Um, she had been a nurse, um, was interested in psychology, uh, had gone back when I was in high school, had gone and gotten her master's in social work. So she became a, a therapist and, um, she was especially in Arkansas in the seventies was also an astrologer had, had us meditating, doing yoga growing up. Um, I had done, uh, a Silva mind control class when I was 11. Wow. And went through several levels of that successfully. So, um, and then my mother turned to Buddhism. She turned to Tibetan Buddhism in, in the seventies, which is very unusual yeah. um, for that time. 
and it was way ahead of everything. And she had gone and spent time with Mother Teresa in her leper colony. For, she spent a summer in India. So my mom was very spiritual. She was very awake. And um, I was living in New York, and she said, hey, I just did this thing down in Dallas called a firewalk. If you ever get the chance, you should do it. And I'm like, a firewalk? What does that look like, Mom? And she said, oh, we learned, you know, there was this gentleman, and how many people were there? And she said, there were 30 people, you know, and we all walked across coals. And I'm like, wow, that's really amazing. And so I I was working. I was a stage combat choreographer for a, a this thing that was filming for Showtime in the building. Oh, in the, Madison, in the uh, in, Manhattan in, Center. In the Manhattan Center in New York on yeah. 34th Street. I walked down at the end of the day of rehearsal and they were rehearsing up in the main room that we ended up doing the seminar in. And as we walked down, I, I'm on 34th Street and they were, they were loading wood and, and sod to do a firewalk. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And I had just talked to my mother about this 48 hours before. Huh? And they said, we're going to do a firewalk. And I went, a firewalk? Really? Do you know what that is? I said, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh-huh. And, can, and I was like, could I do it? And this was probably around five o'clock. And they were setting up. They were set. They rushed in and set. They were, you know, as we were leaving, the whole crew was running in to set up the room at the Manhattan Center. And. Uh, they said, yeah, it starts at whatever it was, 7.30, 8 o'clock. So I never even went home. I just went across the street, got a bite to eat. I was like, you know, will you take a check? I had a check back, you know, it was when we wrote checks back then. <laughs> yeah, I remember checks. And went in and I didn't know who's, who's doing it. Oh, there's this big tall guy that we saw at the, <laughs> at the one of the little, there was some fair or something. Yeah, there's the, a new, new Life Expo. Yeah, the New Life Expo. And he had just done it. So it was it was brand new. Tony was 24. Yeah. I was 23. And it was like this big guy. I said, have you ever done it? And they were like, no, we just saw him and we're, we're staffing. And how do you know you can do it? Well, he's really convincing. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, you've convinced me. (laughs) So I went and did it. I was blown away that I could, you know, that he, you know, gave me the tools that evening to convince me that I could walk across a bed of red alcohol. And I, I, Honestly, I, the first time I did it, I walked five times before I believed it. I kept my thinking brain. You got goes, off and oh, got back on. You said you walked I around. got off and got back on. And the fifth time, I mean, that, that, there were 500 people there that night. There were 500 uh, people? Yeah. The, the first very one? first one in New York. The very oh. first walk in New York, there were 500 people. Wow, that's and huge numbers. It was huge. It was huge. And, and I kept getting in Tony's line. Yeah. Uh, because I'm like, if I'm going to learn how to do this, I'm going to do it with the guy. Right. Yeah. And so there were only two lines at that point. So well, we, New York City sidewalks are not very wide. So, uh, yeah. Well, on 34th Street, it's about as wide as it gets. To I know. Right there. I know. So Remember? two firewalks and then uh, that's it. You're yeah. Done. So. But just by the way, for the thing- people who are who are listening and don't know this place that you and I both know very well. Um Manhattan, New York City, uh, don't generally speaking like fires being built uh, in in on the streets of New York, but um, because all. because Manhattan Center was what it was, which is kind of a theatrical place where they did these things. Tony somehow through somebody figured out a way to get a, a what do you call it a, a permit? Yeah, he got a permit. permit. Got a, yeah, there's a word that I'm looking for that's like a. a, a work around you got he got yeah. the permit because they called it a theatrical event so right. because it was the manhattan center and they always were doing theatrical events they said oh we're doing this theatrical event of a burning of a fire because when i became the center manager for tony a few years later i discovered you know how they did that and it wasn't always so easy to get that you know the new york city like i said didn't really like fires being built on the streets of new york so there are a few times when the fire trucks would show up and they'd <laughs> You know, well, the fire truck to... showed up that night. Oh, did they? They they were there uh-huh. down the block a little bit, and, and they were the firemen were standing there. Uh-huh. I remember watching them, and I was talking to them. They were standing there, literally arms closed, watching yeah. people do it, shaking That's their right. head, going, "This is." Freaking crazy! Yeah, so you that know, never as changed. New Yorkers would. <laughs> then that, yeah, never that, that never changed. That never changed. Yeah. 
Although we've had a few firemen do it, in the, you know, subsequently. But yeah, so it's um, it's Manhattan. It's 34th Street between 8th and 9th Avenues. And it's this, you know, you build a fire. I mean, literally firewood, bonfire type stuff on the street. And then you, we put sod down and built the fire, you know, the raked out the coals once it, you know, had burned down to where they're just mostly coals, raked it out into these lanes and people would just walk across them. There people with hoses that would hose their feet off at the end. You know, as you wipe your feet off and say, wipe your feet right. and celebrate. Uh, but yeah. I didn't know there were 500 people there. Was that the time that they had like a, a cover story on in like the Daily News magazine or something like that? Because I know he got really good press one time and he got really big numbers. <clears throat> um, it might have been because it was his first time in New York and he had done the whatever the fair was at the New Yorker Hotel yeah. right there. Right. And I mean, it was a huge turnout. Yeah, and, 500 people is huge. And, you know, I don't think we got home. I don't think I got home that night because everybody was so pumped. I, I bet I got home at about 3.30. I think we went until 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, that's that was pretty typical. Yeah. But may I just also say for people who have done Tony Robbins, and we're, we're, we're talking 500 to so many people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. like the front row of his events these days. You know, the, he gets, he sells out like the, um, Madison Square Garden. No, no, I know it's it's like a whole other experience. Yeah. But back then, nobody. You can imagine he was twenty four years old. He just started teaching, maybe six months before that. No yeah. one knew who he was. Nobody knew who he was. No. But because of his persuasiveness, yeah. he was a force to be reckoned with. Indeed. And so, and and I ended up going through the whole weekend. I, I was going to just about to ask you: Did was there a weekend attached to it? So you were, the mind there, revolution, as they called it at the, the time. The mind revolution is what it was called, right? Yeah. And so at the end of the the night, everybody was like, "So you come back tomorrow? You come back tomorrow?" And I was like, "If I wake up, you know, <laughs> on three hours of sleep, and I feel the same way I do right now, yeah, I'll come." Right? And and I'm and I'm not a skeptic. I'm just a realist, and I was so high from the experience. I didn't want to make that, you know, di- you know, split, you know, just a decision right on the spot. You know, I'm one of those yeah. that has to yeah. convince yeah. her strategy. Right. So I woke up. Sure enough, I was like, yeah, I got I, I, I have to learn this. So mm-hmm. went back, signed up and then did the same thing with Monday night, the living health section. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the whole thing along the way. And then after that, I was like, I'm in. Tony mentioned this was in November. He mentioned that he was going to do the 60 foot firewalk or 40 foot firewalk in his front yard. And I'm like, well, I have to be out in LA. I'm moving to Los Angeles for pilot season, which is when actors will go, you know, that used to be that there was a two or three month period mm-hmm. where they would cast most of the pilots for television. Right. So then it's, so I was going out like there. The yeah, I said, well, I, just go early, <laughs> just go early. So I drove across country uh, from yeah. New York to LA to get there that evening on the first or the 31st uh-huh. um, and, and did that, you right. know, it's, it's wild. Yeah. So when did you do, when did you start repeating or when did you get, get involved with the organization? And um, were you at well, so, the one that I did in April of 85? Um, you know, I don't think I was because I, I went out I, I got the film on my very first audition. I was so, you know, it was funny. I'd gotten a new agent and mm-hmm. I was using the skills that we had learned on that weekend as a 23 year old young actor. And all, all of the, um, you know, the persuasion skills and the rapport skills that we had learned, the basic stuff we didn't, you know, we, it was all very basic back then, but it still is applicable. Yeah. Basics and, are basics. Yeah. And my agent called me in after like three months and said, look, I've sent you on 60 auditions out of all the, and he was in his probably his late sixties and he had represented all these TV people and film people. He said, out of all the people I've ever represented, you have gotten the best response statistically of anybody that I've ever represented. What the hell are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> and so I tried to give him the basic concept of rapport, VAK, all that. And he just looked at me with this blank stare. He goes, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because everybody <laughs> loves you. And That's and cool. so I, at, at that point, I knew that I needed to study more, right? Okay. I needed to understand more about what this was because I was, 
you know, cause effect, I was seeing the direct effect of it. And, and it was, it was equaling work and money and moving my career along. So um, I went through this huge growth period at the beginning of 85. Um, and I'm trying to remember um, in the summer of 85, uh, my father was killed in an airplane crash, oh a Delta God. plane crash where it went down. And oh so it devastated me. Um, and I, hmm. I went back, I think it was fall of 85 when I would have met you then, uh, Doug, because I went back to Atlanta to direct a musical that I had written here. I was 24 years old. My dad had just been killed. Um, hmm. And then I was like, I can't go to LA. I've got to go back to New York. Uh, where things are a little bit more real and honest. And my support system was there with my friends uh, in New York for my career. So that's when I went back and uh, ran into Peter Boynton on the street. You Peter. remember Peter? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah we got married. And, yeah. yeah. My wife oh, did and I you? Got yes, but he has a bar. He lives up in Vermont. In, in the, Vermont, right. Yeah, and he, so we lived on the same block oh, yeah? and we started talking and he said, you know, hey, blah, 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 firewalk. And I went, firewalk? I just did yeah. it. He was like, what? Oh, my friends are. So that was when Bob and Brandon were uh -huh. involved. And uh -huh. so he said, oh, you should go. So I called him up and went and was a part of the team at that point and then did all the events from that point on. That point on. So yeah. you got certified that fall? 86? Uh, yeah, I was about to say whatever that, I think it was the second certification. Was it in Scottsdale? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I actually went and I did it, but I staffed it too. Wow. That was the one, that was the one, remember where the fire department did come? I do. <clears> where we were going to do the 40 foot fire. We couldn't, we do, couldn't it. do it. Yeah. So we did the <laughs> trust balls instead. Well, and that was me saying to Tony, because I had just done another workshop where we had done that. And, uh -huh. and he was like, he was so angry and we were all upset. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Had 250 people there and they wouldn't let us do the walk. So I said, look, I just did this thing. Let me do it. And he was like, what? Ah, whatever. Do whatever you want. You know? And so we went in and did those big trust halls. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I was the very one. good. Yeah, yeah, it was. It worked. It, yeah, no, and people were such in a good state. I mean, it really. I mean, as we understood, as I was a participant going through it for the first time. So yeah, it was fine. It was really fine not to do the forty foot firewalk. But I will say, next year when we did it again, it was fun to do a forty foot firewalk. That is a different experience. You know, the 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 original ones are like fifteen feet, maybe twelve feet, and you get yeah. across it within you know three seconds you're across it 40 foot ones you stand in front of it it looks like a runway you know it's, it's, it's a long strip of glowing hot coals that you got to be perambulating it's a it's a it's a state changer let's just say so well, um and back then when we were really hardcore about you know we were so ingrained that we could do it do you remember getting around the fire toward the end after everybody had gone and literally reaching in, grabbing them. Yes. Yeah. Grabbing a handful of coals and holding them. I did that once. <laughs> did you burn? No, I didn't. Did I you? didn't burn either. The yeah. only time I ever burned when I walked and I don't know how many walks, I don't know, 50, some blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was the one right after my father died. Uh -huh. And I was kind of walking with him in mind and I got I got pulled out of state. That was the only time that I ever ever burned. The whole time I did it. Yeah, I burned. I burned once. Um, trying to remember which year it was. Uh, it might have been the year after that or two years after that. Um, I don't remember, but I did. No, oh wait, it was in Palm Desert, California. Palm Desert. Yeah, sure. And I I broken up with a girlfriend. I was I was in a bad state and and it's uh, yeah. So it's, I was not focused. <laughs> Let's just say and <laughs> absolutely. It and it makes a difference, boy. It really does. It does. Yeah. So so it's fun reminiscing with you and and I hope that the people are listening getting some some um interest out of this. But the the reason I'm 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 really going with this is that everyone has their own personal journeys with this thing, mm -hmm. this thing called life and this thing called healing and getting on a, a coaching path, a healing path. Um, 
But I did not know about your mother. I did not know about that background. I didn't know you did silver mind control when you were 11. Good heavens. I thought I was early on. I did silver mind control when I was in high school uh, because my psychiatry, my, my, I guess she was my social studies teacher, um, had done it. And so she taught us. I don't know if it was legal for her to have done so, but she taught us in high school. Um, So it was unofficial, but it was still very cool. And, um, You, at some point, although, you know, I, I assume all this NLP stuff was sort of a tangent to your chosen career, you know, being on Broadway and being an actor, at some point or other, you, you segued out of being an actor yeah, into more into a full-time coaching slash healing profession. Could you tell us a little bit how that came to pass? Because uh, I'm giving you a little foreshadowing of what's to come, but, you know, you were the head of the journey process in America for yeah. a number of years, if, if that's yeah. correct. Yeah. So how, was, did, yeah. how did you get from 1980s, you know, certifications with Tony, you know, to where, you know, that, that began with the journey process? How did you, how did you segue out of being an actor to being a, a healer? So, you know, I was always on a search. I had a little bit of a rough childhood. My relationship with my dad was kind of rough. So when I got into acting, um, what it allowed me to do was really just be totally present, right? And I I didn't realize it at the time, but being in the moment and performing was an opportunity for me, especially when I was doing musicals, uh, to just let my entire essence come pouring out. And, um, and I don't know that I was all that talented. What I was is I was energized and energetic and, um, and I, you know, was told I had whatever that it factor was, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we just, we love watching you, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I, I knew I was moderately talented in my twenties. I ended up uh, studying with a very famous acting teacher, Sanford Meisner and learned my craft privately. I got into a private class with him Mm -hmm where there were 16 of us and we went on a retreat to the West Indies, blah, blah, blah. No way. Did you ever see that that video that they made of his life? The video with, did you ever see that? That video that they made, that was, um, um, gosh, she was the director, that famous director that did it. um, uh, Not Sidney Lumet, although he was a student of Meisner's. Jeez, he he directed Tootsie. Um, He was an actor and a director. Anyway. And the book that came out about Miser came out with the class was written in the class right before mine with him. So that was a huge thing that really made me learn how to be really present in the moment and want to work with people. Cause that's a big part of what Meisner is. Then my whole thing was I was trying to heal my own pain and I was using the NLP, but in the meantime, I was working with a lot of actors that had phobias that had, uh, you know, uh, self-esteem issues that had blocks and just about everybody I was working with was turning around and getting work right after at, you know, my roommate <clears throat> was dealing with stuff. She got on the soap opera right after that. I had another person that got a movie, somebody else got a TV series. And so I started working with a lot of actors that were struggling. Um, and they were like very talented, but they wouldn't, they couldn't get work. So in that, so I was, you know, I, I, I loved being able to, you know, be of service. And I was just doing it for friends and family. Mm-hmm. And then, then people that I didn't know that knew said, hey, you were doing. And so then I started doing it. And I started charging. And I would just, I just did it on the side. It was just something if you knew me and somebody that knew me could do it. Then um, our, our dear friend, Brandon Bays. Mm-hmm found out and she was, you know, working with Tony um, and she found out that she had a uterine sized tumor and uh, she had called me and she was living in LA. Were you in LA? Were you? No, I never lived in LA. Yeah. I visited Um, there, but never. Right. So I, I went back and forth between New York and LA. She called and said, Hey, look, I'm putting together a healing circle. Will you come out and help? Uh, We're going to do this work called body electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that she and her husband at the time Bob had learned. No, so I, I, I did body electronics with them in New York City. Did, you so, did right. Yeah. yeah, I I knew you were a part of that group at that yeah. one point. Anyway, so we went out to L.A. did that body electronics session, 
And we were in the middle of the session and this situation showed up too, uh-huh. where uh, there was an old memory that came and we processed it and it was different than traditional body electronics. And this thing happened and three and a half weeks later, basically the, the tumor was gone and, and it was different. It wasn't body electronics, but we did the, you know, two, three sessions with her and, and then the tumor went away. And that's what she ended up then creating this formula called the journey, which, uh, you know, that she created these scripts around physical and emotional issues. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, she then ended up going to, to Europe and it took off like a rocket in Europe. And she ended up moving over there. And she was on a trip to New York at one point. I had lunch with her. And she said, why don't you come to Europe and see what I'm doing? So I went over on a, on a just, you know, a weekend trip, a long weekend, and was did her workshop, uh, did the advanced work, was so blown away by what she had formulated. And, and then she was like, why don't you come back? We're doing another workshop. So about a month later, that was when like trips from New York to London were 200 bucks, $199 round trip. <clears throat> so you could do a, a weekend trip to, to Europe. When you say you were talking London, right? London, she yeah. was in London. Yeah, she was in London. And anyway, I ended up going through a couple of the more advanced classes she had just been putting together. Mm-hmm. And then um, I ended up going over there and helping them. Uh, for longer extended periods of time and helping them grow the work and then help them staff their very first accreditation for journey practitioners. So at that point, I was the only practitioner of the work in the United States, still working as an actor. And I, by that point, I'd gone to film school, uh, was producing, and I was running a production company uh, where we were doing all this work for ABC, CBS, um, NBC, the Golf Channel, Nike, and I was running this production company. And in the meantime, all these folks from Europe were telling people in the United States, hey, you should get a journey process with that. I was the only person that was certified. Uh, so all these people were calling me and I was doing work on nights and weekends, all this healing work, probably doing two or three sessions a, a week just to be of service to people. Mm-hmm. And then on a trip to back to Europe, uh, I was, I had gotten engaged and I was talking to Brandon and she said, you know, I was like, why don't you bring the work back to the United States? Cause her book launched the day before nine 11. I know. Right. Nine right. 10. It, 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 it launched on nine ten, and then everything fell apart. She tried to bring that. She had this big tour and nobody was focused on that. No. So the, the work kind of fell flat here from Europe. Uh, and I said, why don't you try to bring it back? And she said, you know what, Skip, it's just not the right time. It's taking off here in Australia and South Africa, all through Europe. You know the work. Why don't you start teaching it? And I was like, what? Um, um, she said, well, you know, you have the performance background, so you know how to be in front of people. You just do teach a seminar. At that point, I'd never taught a seminar. No, so, you never taught a seminar up to that point. I'm I'm trying to think if I had... No, I don't think I had. And now now at that point, I had done a ton of journey work seminars and had staffed them and helped run them and done sound. And so I knew the whole structure, Mm -hmm. but she literally just sent me the syntax of the weekend and said, go, that was it. And so I pulled together a couple people that could help. We did one in Manhattan. I borrowed a space uh, through a friend. And we put it out there and I think 40 days after we put it out to a small database of about three or 400 people, we had 60 people show up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and from that, some people were there and they said, Hey, can you come to Calgary? Can you come to Montana? Can you, Mm -hmm. and it just, it just steamrolled and, and it, and we were being called on a regular basis. Hey, can you come here? We ended up doing, I ended up teaching or producing over a thousand workshops with, uh, you know, for the journey uh, in in about a 10 year period. And we had, I trained up close to 500 practitioners and we had uh, five teams of people that were out um, doing it. And, you know, so it became, it, it, it had its own momentum, so to speak. And that was back before anybody was really talking about the power of emotions and working with people on an emotional level. Really, nobody was talking about it. So it was 
really cutting edge stuff back then, <laughs> especially for healing uh, a cell memory and getting to the root core of the cell memory and healing that through forgiveness. Um, I, I don't think other than Chopra in quantum healing, that was really about the only thing out there. And there was another book uh, by a cellular uh, cellular biologist called uh, not the biology belief. That was Bruce Lipton. He had, he was just starting to talk about that, which is a beautiful book. Uh, what was her name? Candace Pert, Molecules okay. of Emotion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? She she had written that and had, had learned a lot about working with AIDS patients and how you know the emotions really were affecting the body. Yeah. So and, and also this, Ernest Ernest Rossi had a book, right? The this the psychobiology of mind body healing. Wasn't that? Uh, you know, I wasn't that? familiar with that. I'm yeah. I've not heard that. Yeah. And and so there were several schools, right? There was the school where you're working with the mind school, mm-hmm. you know, the, the concept of working with the body and the school, the concept of working with emotions. So there were a lot of people that doing that were doing mind, body, mind, body, but yeah. very few people back then were doing the emotions. So we had you know, medical doctors and therapists and nurses and, and hospice workers and there, and everybody wanted to learn how to do this. And, I would say everybody. I mean, we, it, it was a movement. Um, and then I, I got, I, I taught so much. I, I got burned out physically mm-hmm. and had to step away just to kind of recuperate Yeah, and, and pulled away um, back in 2011, 12 mm-hmm. and was just then working privately um, with, um, with clients, mostly people that had known me from, the work yeah. that were coming in. And so I was doing intervention work on people that had um, illness, um, you know, major loss. A lot of the people that were practitioners that were trained to deal with whatever, but you know, the, the people with, they had hard clients, they sent them all to me. So hmm. it ended up helping me get really uh, efficient and effective by being able to work with just about anything. So let me just stop you there. Cause that's uh Good place to stop you. We we might have to go on to a second uh, episode here because there's I think there's more to your journey that we want to hear about. But yeah. um, but again, for the benefit of our listeners, because as as much of a steamrolling movement as it was, a lot of people have never heard of the journey in my right. my little world. Um, I was talking about it recently with some online classes I'm teaching with the Essential Coaching Skills platform on NLP and hypnosis. Um, and I drew a comparison between the journey process and uh, core transformation by Connie Ray Andreas. And so that's where it's been coming up because I taught the core transformation process in my class. And, um, and I was familiar with the journey. I obviously had been familiar with it from hearing, talking to you and Brandon over the years and, and knowing mm-hmm. quite a bit about it. Um, having gone through a journey or two myself with, with, I think Bob Bays help. And right. um, but there's there's uh, there's a really interesting part of it. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how the process works in in a nutshell. You said you got inefficient with it, but my memory of it is these are lengthy processes, like a body electronics process, like the ones those healing circles you talked when you first did them with right. Brandon, and she went through the process originally. Um, sort of happened in a way um, that was probably what three four hours long, probably I'm guessing more. More by the time that you, you know, and, and as a part of the team, you had to prepare by drinking oh, like, body electrolytes. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, with body the electronics. So, yeah, minerals, yes. five, six hours. I mean, that was that was a real commitment if you were on it on a, on part yeah. of a healing circle for somebody for, in body electronics. Fortunately, you got a lot of you know healing benefits yourself as a point. Absolutely. So it was worth Abs- it. Absolutely. But uh, how, um, long, how long did journey process, when you got efficient with them, how long would a journey process, if somebody came to you for a journey process, how long would that session go? Well, let, let me just say that the regular journey process is normally, uh, you know, you can do a simple version in a couple hours, about an oh, hour wow. and 30 minutes okay. is what it basically lasts for a, what's called a physical journey or an emotional journey. Okay. So you can get in and get out within a, you know, two hour time frame. Now, the people that were coming to me were normally traveling or I was working with them and they had, you know, they were needing some intervention of some kind. So 
I would throw the the kitchen sink at him mm-hmm. and work with beliefs and bowels and forgiving, you know, deep, deep seated cell cellular memories. So my sessions, I tell people to set aside three hours or more. Mm-hmm. And I tell, we normally do it at, you know, I say, look, we're going to do either morning session or an afternoon session and don't plan on doing anything afterwards because there's a good chance emotionally and, and physically you're going to be a little wiped out. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it's an experience. It's not yeah. light. Uh, and people go through the run the gamut of all kinds of emotions from anger to sadness, to fear, to, to really dredging up into the joy and the happiness and the right. exuberance of connection with their source. Like, like a night right. with Liza Minnelli. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> interesting metaphor because she's a little she's a little out there but you know she's entertaining uh no it's it's let's just say it's a big experience and and when i say i've become efficient at it um the time takes what it takes so whenever i do a session i say look i've set this time aside we go until there's resolution and it's really clear in the process when there's finality and resolution it's like okay this we're clear all everything that needs to be said has been said a little overview a little nutshell version of what it is and and also i i i know that within this process there's a a sort of a breakout group that happens when you do this campfire thing the campfire process yeah i don't remember how that works or where it comes into this journey I, i can pretty well describe the journey process but I, I don't know where and how to do the campfire thing, I will admit. So could you just give, I don't want to, I don't want you I to train us in doing it, but just give yeah, us yeah. a 50 cent version here. So, you know, the journey is about really getting still, getting quiet, going into, into your core essence and connecting with your wisdom self. So the essence of what really sets this work apart is you're using your core emotions, going into the heart of your emotions which we find that they're stacked up in layers and that if you go down through these layers of emotions, you, it used to be that a lot of people would go through what we call the unknown zone, which is a, a place of a void of nothingness. And it's a scary place for people. But once you get beyond that, then you go into this place of connection with your source, with God, with uh, the universe, nature, spirit, whatever's your soul, whatever you want to call it and beyond. And when you drive right into the core of that, what happens is your wisdom self and your unconscious and this wisdom starts pouring from you. And I've heard people speak from that place. And I'm not kidding you. They sound like an enlightened master, Mm -hmm. the words that come out of people that had just been lost and struggling, but there's this clarity and this assuredness once they break through into that, which is why it takes some time. Yeah. Because some people, and if you've been through it a few times, you go through it pretty quickly. But first time, first, second, third time, it could be a bit of a slog to get right. through to connect to that. And then you create this highway to connection with the self. Now, from that place, at that point, we'd already in our minds and a guided imagery traveled inside the body through a, a series of techniques where we learn how to identify where the root core of a cell memory is stored and it's you're someplace in the body that's where we do the campfire process and in essence the campfire process is an opportunity for the younger you which is any part of you younger than the the here and now the present day you and whatever shows up in this memory whoever comes forward to represent the situation series of situations that happen to be able to have a a dialogue almost like a gestalt process right Mm -hmm. of emptying out from that younger use pain where the all the pain that never got released at the time can now be released and there's this back and forth process of everything being said that needs to be said so that healing can happen and you can forgive from that real deep connected place of your soul and your source. So let me just stop there because if you don't mind. Um, So my memory of doing the the, um, campfire process is that there were, 
there were a bunch of people at the campfire. There was like a mm-hmm. circle of people hanging out with the campfire. And um, so who would all those people be? Well, you know, so in general, what I find is oftentimes it's mom, dad, brother, sister. It's it's family of origin people. Okay. Right. Could be grandparents. And the person brings them there. So when they're in their wisdom self, you say, who needs to be at this campfire? And it's so clear, all of a sudden, people in, in their mind's eye, like if you can imagine being camping out in the woods, there's a campfire, it's night. And out of the shadows walk in these people to sit around this nice, cozy campfire. And the reason Brandon used the campfire was it's, it's a place where everybody has a dialogue, right? At the end of a night of fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's this metaphoric place. So these people step forward. And yes, if you had a situation, say it's like you're in the second grade and my second grade class laughed at me and I was humiliated, the whole second grade class might show up. Mm-hmm. But then you would say if one person wanted to step forward to represent all these people who would step forward and one of them will. And, and Doug, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've done this thousands and thousands of times and in the middle of it, sometimes you go, Oh my God, where is this going? And there is a connect the dots moment for the person where they start to see you as the practitioner start to see the connect the dots moment. But you know how they've always said when, if you tell somebody goes in one ear and out the other. So this is an opportunity for them to connect their own dots. And when they do, they get it. Mm. It's crystal clear. And it's like a lightning bolt of healing that comes through that, that situation and just nails it. Mm. And it is the kind of thing where you're in the middle of it and they have their aha. And you know, when you're here, it's a practitioner and your arm raises up going, that's it. Yeah. That's the root core. Gotcha. And it's resolved. I know. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, of course. And in the campfire process, there is a series of situations. If there's sexual abuse, if there's trauma, if, you know, if there's forgiveness that needs to happen that, that are advanced level techniques yeah. Um, and I'm happy to share those, you know, uh, okay. maybe take another call where we well, can go let's, into the advanced Let's, let's plan on doing that another call then, because I, yeah. I, I do want to know this. And like I said, I've, I've, I've read the book by Brandon, The Journey. Um, I've done the process with her husband, Bob. I've sort of taught the process a little bit, but, you know, the campfire thing, while I know how the process works, I never knew where to put it within the structure of the journey process. Um, it, it, I just sort of would put it in where it felt good. Um, oh, but, yeah. And there's a very specific place where it, it, you know, you go, okay, now we're at this point. All right. And it's, it becomes very clear. It's like, okay, now it's time for the campfire. Okay. There's so I, I might have been doing it right without knowing what that you very well could have because but, um, instinctually you've done so much stuff, you know, Hey, these two people, there needs to be a dialogue here to be able to empty out. It's right. super. So to me, it also, you know, you're familiar enough with NLP just so you'll know what I'm talking about, but it seems to me also like a little bit like a, a change personal history process or, um, or a, a re-imprinting process that happens at that point. Well, you know, it's funny because Brandon used change memory um, as, as a, um, kind of a catch-all. Uh-huh. We would do the we would do the um, uh, the campfire process, do all the emptying out, and then and there's a series of you know of of being able to cut the energetic cords and and go inside and feel what they're feeling so that you, there's empathy and compassion for both sides, and then at the end she put in a change memory process just as a catch-all to make sure that everything was changed. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, uh, and she did that from the very beginning. She put change memory in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Which is, it's, it's great, you know, for yeah. a catch-all, but it was, it was more of a, let's just make sure that all this is really changed. That's beautiful. And then there's a future pacing at the end of it, which is NLP, right? See yourself in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. To anchor that in. So, Beautiful. Well, Skip Lackey, we we will have you back soon. Uh, thank you for your time. Okay. It's so so fun to see and talk with you and catch up. If 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 I don't care if anybody else enjoys this episode or not, I had a great time. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's always fun to talk about this because that's why I left my career performing and doing. I had the best job in the world going to major sporting events, but what my real heart is in helping people mm-hmm. and. 
Um, and it was like, you know, anybody can do that other work. Um, and I, I want to, this is where I I'm dedicated to helping individuals wake up to the truth of who they are. So this, this path and this tool, uh, became a vehicle for me to just be, you know, heal myself every time I do a session with somebody else, right. To get a little bit more, go a little deeper. Yeah. And it would, and, and I've developed a whole other, I was just about to say, and the reason, another methodology reason. over the last 10 years yeah. around that, that I call the touchstone. Yes. Where it's bringing together all of these different skills that we've learned. Right. So we are about halfway to be able through to see this, where this people interview. sit. Yeah. Cause there's, there's more to uh, this, this yeah. journey and more of where it has taken you since then in the past 10 years. So yeah, uh, sure. we, we want to hear about that. Yeah. Um, so thank yeah. you for I'd love today. To share it. And we're looking forward to the next time. Sounds hey, great. Skip, if people Sounds want great. to get hold of you, is there possible that they can do that? Sure. There, um, I have a website, uh, skiplackey.com, S-K-I-P-L-A-C-K-E-Y.com. And, um, and, and the skills are there. That's a great place to, if you just want to reach out or skip at skiplackey.com. Happy to dialogue with people, talk to them. Um, I'm launching this new program called the Life Quake Recovery Program where it's really helping people that are in severe traumatic situations and like three to six sessions of being able to get people through these major life quakes that they're experiencing. So that's great. Have you trademarked life quake? That's a great term. You know, there's somebody that's trying to do that with one word. So I'm doing life dash quake.com recovery. Right. And I, hopefully the trademark. uh, And when I went to look at it, somebody had just kind of put it in, uh, you know, it, yeah, that's a whole other, that's a whole other business. And, and I do a lot, I do some business coaching too. So I bring these into corporations, business leadership, this work, we, through the journey, we got pulled into leadership. Um, And that's all other thing, bringing consciousness into the justice department of Canada. We were anchored in with a program that we did and, you know, we can talk about that at some point. It's really, yeah. Maybe we'll have you on for a third episode maybe maybe this will just become the skip lackey <laughs> podcast you're funny doug oh my goodness uh, you know hey brother it's good to just catch up with you and laugh and smile and hear what you've been doing and mm-hmm. i appreciate you giving me a you know an opportunity to speak and share what i'm passionate about right that's, back at you my friend good to yeah. see you we'll talk again all soon right, all right all right bye-bye bye. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.